Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. here get this cool opportunity to open up God's word and uh, really just challenge us this morning now I'm gonna have a challenge because there's children in here this morning so I'm gonna have to occasionally do something to make sure I keep their attention kids pay attention right up here right here okay awesome we've been talking about what it would be like to have a Jesus free Christmas the last three weeks we have spent time with this crazy idea, what if we had Christmas without Jesus? What would we be left with? And over the last few weeks, if you haven't been here, I'll catch you up. A couple of the things that we've talked about is you would be left with unexplainable traditions. You're doing things because, well, that's just what we do at Christmas time. Or it wouldn't even be called Christmas because Jesus wasn't born, so it's whatever, mus, uh, Grinchmas, I don't know, Thriftmas. I had to write a song about that. If you don't know what we're talking about, check out our social media. So, um, but unexplainable traditions. You don't have any reason. You just do it because you do it. You have unfulfilled longings. Ultimately, at Christmas, we're really good at stuffing our cravings. Chocolate chip cookies, gifts, all of that stuff. Really, they feed a craving that we have, but they never really feed the deepest longings all humans have. Longings for purpose, longings for really being loved and forgiven, because those all come with Jesus too. And last week, we talked about unfixable grief. You're left with unfixable grief because there really isn't any hope. If we are truly here by chance, and there is no God involved in this world at all, you really don't have anything but self-help books and mindfulness and all these crazy things that might take some of your grief away, but they will never do it completely. Today we're going to take a look at the last one that I want uh, us to think about as we enter into this holiday season. And for those of you, let me say this, we have a lot of people here who come to church all the time, but you may not have actually made a decision, a commitment, a 100% I am all in with Jesus decision. Uh, We may have some of you here that have never even done it. You don't go to church. Someone drug you here because they said there's this fantastic bacon, okay? Um, they may have drugged you here and you are a complete skeptic. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And then there's those of us that have already made that decision. I want today to be an encouragement to each of you this morning. The feelings are really powerful this time of year. We talk about the best way to spread Christmas cheer is... Oh, come on, kids. I know you know this. Is... Singing loud for all to hear, the movie Elf. Yes, we're all about feelings. We love the feelings, the excitement, the enthusiasm, all the things that come with this holiday season. It's a blast, and and I enjoy it still, okay? Uh, It's tough being a pastor with the Christmas season because there's a lot that goes on, uh, and you don't always get those moments to just sit back and relax and really take in the season. But that's why I listen to Christmas music on the 25th of every month. So I get a little Christmas spirit all year round. Um, The point of that is this. Feelings are very strong. And sometimes our feelings uh, are rational and sometimes they're irrational. Sometimes our feelings are completely irrational. We do things for whatever reason. Whatever reason. Uh, Back when I was a camp counselor at a camp in central Maryland called River Valley Ranch, 
uh, I was there, and I would do crazy things. We would we'd take our kids down in the afternoon. They would get all of the sugar in their system from the snack shop. Then they would go swimming, and they're just super amped up over that. They do crafts and all this. Well, I, I was one of the bus drivers. So I would get into the bus, and all of these sugared up, just total, you know, adrenaline kids would get in the bus. And so I had fun with this and took advantage of the stupor that most of them were in. I would do something just totally irrational and dumb. I would sit there as a driver, and I would just go, Taco Bell, Taco Bell, and the kid behind me, Taco Bell, Taco, and it took 30 seconds, and that entire sugared up bus would be chanting Taco Bell, we'd be pulling into where their beds and their cabins were and all this stuff, and all the other counselors are looking at the bus like, what is going on, why are these kids chanting Taco Bell? It's irrational, it was fun. Sometimes in the holiday season, we do things that are completely irrational, we don't have any reason other than, well, we're supposed to, I just like to smile, it's my favorite, okay? We just have irrational things, but rational things, I think, is what we really want. We want to have feelings based on rational things. Some of us are very upset at what we see going on in the world, whether it's war, hunger, and we get upset. We really get ticked off. We want to do something. I think that's a rational feeling. And I think when we see people who maybe don't have a, you know, a great holiday and all of that, we want to do something to help. And that's a wonderful, rational feeling that we hold. But what about these irrational ones? I believe that as Christians, we have something that is rational, that is reasonable. The birth of Jesus Christ, I believe that it is something that if with the, we take Jesus out of it, we're left with useless myths. We're left with things that aren't true. We make things up. We come up with alternatives to who Jesus was, and we stir that up. We're left with useless myths. I want to revisit the importance of the baby that was born, and I want to take a look at a passage of Scripture about his birth, but let me set it up this way. Um, for thousands of years, the Jewish people were waiting for someone that had been promised called a Messiah. That term gets thrown around a lot. I watch ESPN. They throw it out there that a, a new player is going to be the Messiah of the franchise, the one that's going to make them champions. And this phrase is thrown out of Messiah, and it comes from the Jewish tradition. Thousands of years, they were waiting to be delivered from being subjugated to other nations. We looked at them last week. Uh, they were looking for uh, someone who would deliver them spiritually as well as politically. Most of them wanted the political one who was going to stop Rome. 800 years before the birth of Christ, prophets began to prophesy that this Messiah would come. And here's the cool thing about the Bible. When you read the Old Testament, you see these prophecies, and there's a bunch of them. And it dealt with everything from the location that this Messiah would be born, to the lineage, his family line, to his character, what he would be like, to his mission and purpose for coming to earth. And 800 years after many of these prophets gave these divine revelations from God, they were fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. And to prove it, we have Matthew chapter 1, which talks about this. Matthew, who was one of Jesus' disciples, says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is very important. 
Jesus, to be sinless, to be perfect in his life, could not have an earthly father. Now, there is a, a cultic group out there that believes that God and Mary had relationships, and that led to Jesus, and that is not the case. We believe that the life was started by the Holy Spirit in Mary, and this was so he could be born without sin. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. One thing we talked about two years ago about Joseph was he was a very humble, noble man. And here, he could have called Mary out in the middle of town and had her killed. Had her stoned to death. Because she's pregnant without a father and all these allegations. But he didn't. He didn't want to embarrass her. He tries to find a way to resolve things quietly. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is in her or conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. I pointed this out again in the past, and I love pointing this out. Jesus is a name that's very distinct. We don't have a lot of people that run around with that name because it is so distinct today. But back then when this name was given, it was a very common name. It's the equivalent of the name Joshua. It was a common name. It wasn't anything spectacular. You know, I asked my parents, you know, why they didn't name me Dan the Amazing. You know? <laughs> they call me it all the time. I'm kidding. They're here, so I'm going to get in trouble afterwards. Uh, his name will be common, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Anytime I disobey God, anytime I do things that I want to do, God, I don't care, is sin. All this took place, and this is important, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and this is Isaiah that he quotes, 800 years before this, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God did not stay far off. You may say, Why? Why? Why do we believe this? Here, you see, here's the story. I'm going to call this, the, well, this is called the gospel, okay? I'm going to break this down into a few pieces. Why this baby, why Jesus, who claimed to be God and we believe was God, why he had to be born? And it's in a few steps here. If you're following along in your notes, you can fill these in in just a moment. Um, first, let me say this. If I make a prophecy today, in fact, no, I'm going to make eight prophecies today. And I'm going to say in 800 years, a person is going to be called, uh, born in the town of Ephrata. And his name will be John. And he will be great. And he will be a trash man. Uh, work for goods. Now, that's a bold statement for me to make today. I don't know what's going to happen in 800 years. There may not even be trash. They found a new way to like dilute stuff in your house or something. But I'm making a bold statement that in 800 years this is going to happen. How many of you took probability and stats in college? Anybody? Okay. I can't stand these, but these are interesting. Here's a couple little tidbits for this. For one person in 800 years to be born and fulfill eight of my prophecies, I have a one in 100 quadrillion, I didn't even know that number existed, quadrillion chance of being correct. That's just eight. Now, chances of fulfilling, if I make 80 different prophecies, and he will have blonde hair, and he will be an Eagles fan. Okay, those are all general, all right? 
80 of them is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. For those of you who have forgotten, that means 157 zeros after this. This is worse chances than winning the lottery. I mean, it's, it's crazy. In fact, you know, I, I use this with my kids when I explain evolution and the view of evolution with this. I have a better chance at times of me getting this paper and this pen and going and keep doing it until it writes a bestseller. <laughs> I'm going to be here a while. That's how crazy it is that eight and even 80 prophecies are fulfilled. In the birth of Jesus Christ, 300 were fulfilled. 300. Hundreds of years before they're made. They're not generalities like I made today. They're very unique and distinct to him. And he fulfilled them. This is why this is no myth to me. This is why my life is all dependent upon this to be true. See, here's, here's the gospel. Adam and Eve lived with God. The first two people created. And they were created in fellowship with God. They had fellowship with him. They got to walk in the garden with him. They had a friendship going. Everything was great. And then one day, Adam and Eve decide that they're going to do something on their own. They're going to rebel against God. Some of us know rebellion. Some of us were the rebellious one in our home. They rebel against God. Barry, do I have a slide with these on their fellowship? Okay, perfect, yes. Their fellowship led them to rebellion, not because God was awful, but because they were human. And so they began to rebel. And they chose to do something God told them, don't do it. Because of this, this led to a division between God and all of humanity because of our sin. Unfortunately, you inherit sin from your parents. All of us did. That division between God and man led to an inability for us to make things right. I cannot take and do enough good works. I cannot donate enough to charity. I can't do enough good things in order for God to be able to overlook my sin because I still have a sin problem. But because of this and because of God's great love for us, he intervened. He came right in the middle of it. We saw that one of the meanings of the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, is what? God with us. He intervened. He knew they can't do it on their own. I love them. I love you. You're my creation, so I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul says this, but when the fullness of time, when the right time, the perfect time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. You were given a chance at a relationship with God to have peace and hope and all these things we talk about, grace, mercy, forgiveness, all the wonderful things that come with the relationship with Jesus Christ because God had to intervene. And that's where this baby comes in. That's where the significance of God having to intervene on our behalf because we couldn't do it ourselves, is such an important thing this holiday season. And guess what? God never separated himself from us. He's like, well, created the world. They're rebelling. On to the next place I'm going to create. He didn't give up. In fact, he pursued you. And why? Because he loves you. He wants relationship with you. My question is, do you want relationship with him at all? He offers so much. 
to us. And it is that truth about God's intervention and the birth of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross when he grew up to be 33 years old and lays down his life as an innocent man on your behalf and my behalf and then rises again from the dead three days later. We'll celebrate that, by the way, Easter's the end of March this year. It's not in April, so make note of that. It's coming quick. We have a wonderful God and a wonderful Messiah who fixes our sin problem, you and I both. And it is that radical truth that caused his followers, people that gave their lives to do radical things because they loved God and they loved all the others that were his creation. They chose to love others and that led to action. We don't come to church to just learn a bunch of information. You can go to school for that. We come here that we learn God's word that we act out and we live out and we obey him. And this caused some people to do some radical things. And to show how it impacts your life, I'm going to tell you and give you a little history lesson on a couple of these real quick, right? We're going to start logically. Healthcare. What? Where did that come from? I'm going to tell you, okay? There were individuals who followed Jesus. They loved God and they loved their fellow man. Oh, this is amazing. The early church under Rome. Did you know that in Rome, if you came up with a, a terminal illness or a, a disease of some sort, you became an outcast and often were cast out of your own home to just go die? And even after you die, they neglect you. Unwanted children, unwanted babies were left by the side of the river to die. And it was these Christians these ones that saw value in humanity who dove in and began to help the sick. They began at risk. There's a historian and a bishop from back then, uh, Dionysius. He says this. He said that Christians risked their own lives to take care of the sick that they didn't even know. They felt compelled by the love of God and following Jesus to do this. And then you have hospitals. The Nicene Council in 325 ordained that Christian leaders should begin to start these things called hospitals. 325 AD. They didn't have an emergency room back then. Okay? Hospitals. In the 12th century, the Crusades, which was not a great time in church history, the Crusades, they began to pull these women that were deaconesses at churches, and they bring them in, and they say, we need you to begin to take care of the sick. And this is what led to the nursing business. Son of a nurse here. So uh, appreciate the, nurse, uh, the nurses that we have. 12th century crusades that came out of. And then U.S. hospitals. Johns Hopkins. Some of you have been to Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins was a Quaker. And before he died, he wanted his money to go to a noble cause. One was the university, but the second was a hospital because he felt compelled to love his fellow man and to treat them with respect. Johns Hopkins had Christian roots. And, uh, I mean, we can get, get into the Methodist hospitals and the Catholic hospitals and all this stuff. People who believed Jesus was who he said he was felt compelled to do this. That's health care. How about this? Every kid in here's favorite thing. Ready? Education. Yes. I'm not going to talk about school, because school's been around a long time. Even Jesus would have gone to uh, a, a, a synagogue to learn and so on and so forth. But universities actually came and were birthed by church leaders who wanted people to be well-educated in religion as well as philosophy and all these other classic liberal arts. The European universities, such as Oxford, such as the University of Paris, 
the University of St. Andrews, hundreds of years ago, started by church leaders. Yes, even Yale and Harvard, as much as they're in the news right now with a whole bunch of fun stuff, were started as pastoral colleges because we needed to train young men to grow up to be pastors and spiritual leaders. Started by Christians. Far from it now. Started by Christians. Next one. Here's another way that the impact of the baby affects your life. Scientific advancement. Copernicus. Copernicus, I don't even know if any of you remember him. He's the guy who came up with the heliocentric model that we rotate around the sun, not around the earth. Copernicus was a Christian. He felt compelled to do science. He didn't see science as competition with religion. He believed that science was a way to understand God. Understand how God does things rather than to compete with God. Uh, Friar Gregor Mendel, I gotta look back at my notes because I forgot what he did. Uh, um, 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 oh, flip my page here. Gregor Mendel, uh, genetics. He was the father of modern genetics. A believer, he was a friar in a church. Um, Francis Bacon, our, our man, yes, today. Thank you, Francis Bacon. Uh, scientific method. He's the father of the scientific method, which we sometimes still choose to use today, that you can actually prove things. Okay? Scientific method. A Christian, once again. Antoine Lavoisier, who was the father of chemistry, and then priest Roger Boscovich, who began the, the underpinnings of atomic theory. All motivated by their faith, by their belief in Jesus Christ, by their belief in God, to do what they did. One last one. One last one. Charity. Uh, we talked about charity last month. We talked about giving and so on. And I wanted to go at this from a different angle because here's why. It's easy for us to say, well, the Christians are the most charitable people because we give at church. But I wanted to look at this through the lens of the secular world, how the church responds to things that have nothing to do with the church. This is from a non-Christian website for nonprofits that I got these stats that 71% of the people that give to non-church, just regular public uh, charities, 71% are believers from the church. 60% give time to those non-church charities. Now this isn't to say if you're not a Christian that you're a horrible person you need to give, okay? That's not the point. We are motivated that this baby that was born changed the world, changed us, and we're going to love those all around us the way he loves them. So you may once again say this. What if this is all a myth? What if this is all made up? Acts chapter 5, we're not going to read it this morning. Acts chapter 5, I want to challenge you to read uh, verses 35 to 39. Some of the disciples are brought before the religious leaders of the day. And they're questioned and all of this stuff. And then they send them out of the room. And they're like, you know, what should we do about these guys? And one of the leaders, a very wise one that everyone looks up to named Gamaliel, says, guys, let me tell you something. We've seen this before with Jesus. We saw this guy, Theodius, who got up and he started a revolt and a revolution. And all these people rallied behind him. And then he was killed and died. And it died out. And then he gives another example of another one who did the exact same thing. This person was uh, you know, uh, leading a revolution, and then they died, and then everybody dispersed. He says this, gentlemen, if these guys are like them, we got nothing to worry about. It's just going to die out and go away. But if Jesus was who he said he was, you're never going to be able to stop these men. It's just going to keep going and going 
and going. And you might find yourself warring against God himself. I love that passage of scripture because it encapsulates all of it. Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was the savior of all of humanity. This baby is not just any baby. This baby was the beginning of the intervention of God in human history. And it changed everything. Even things like healthcare, education, and so on. Your life has been impacted by Christianity even if you refuse to believe in God. All of us have been impacted this way. So as I close up, I want to say this. What is Christmas to you? Is this a thing, uh, feelings that are built on this irrational stuff like, you know, just all the, oh, everybody's just excited, so I want to be excited too. Is it based on something irrational? Is it based on something rational, provable? Like as in 300 prophecies fulfilled provable. That blows my mind. Or are we just falling to chance, throw a pen and paper up in the air and expect it to land on the ground as a, as a bestseller for the New York Times? What is this holiday season about to you? Because there is someone who loves you enough that he sent his son to die on a cross for you out of love and out of a desire to have a right relationship with you. I want you to reflect on this. Jesus transforms your purpose. He transforms your purpose. Don't miss this. You do not have to have a purposeless life. You do not have to have purpose in things that don't last. Maybe it's your job that's your purpose. Maybe it's your kids that's your purpose. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know. You say, this is why I am here on this earth. Jesus promises you a purpose that will last your whole life and never, ever let you down and give up on you. I don't know if you've ever made a decision for Jesus. I don't know if this time of season is just fill yourself with all sorts of cookies and sugar and Christmas carols and movies and all that stuff. I don't know what it is. But I will guarantee you that if you investigate Jesus and you make the commitment to him for the rest of your life, you will not be disappointed. And I'm not a used car salesman. I'd be horrible at that. I am just telling you from my own experience and from the experience of many in this room, he changes everything, everything. My question for you is, if you've never made the decision, what are you waiting for? At the very least, at the very least, investigate what he said he was. Investigate what he did, who he was, investigate it. Take a step because I, I know if you do your work and you throw questions at God and he's going to answer them, C.S. Lewis, the great writer, was one of those who was a complete skeptic. Complete skeptic. And it took J.R.R. Tolkien and several others in his life to be the ones that showed him there is a God. You've just been running from him. There are many, case after case, that's the case. You may be just like them. He wants to change your life and give you purpose. My question is, what are you waiting for? I mean, let me pray for us. Father, um, we've had a great morning with fellowship this morning, with food. And now, Lord, we have this time where we come together and we look at your word and look at the probability of who you were and the importance of who you were. God, as we... As we spend these moments in prayer here right now, 
I ask, God, that if there's anyone here who has just been fighting off, has been avoiding committing their lives to you, that this holiday season, the greatest gift they can give is giving their life to you because you gave your son for them. That's what the gifts represent, is Jesus. Lord, may they not be able to run. May you agitate their minds that they have to do business with you. Lord, if there is any in here who want and need to make a decision to follow you, that they would with boldness and with courage say quietly in their hearts, God, I know I am a sinner and I disobey you. I've been living for myself and I know I need someone to save me from my rebellion. And so this morning I give myself, all of me, to you. Save me. Lord, that they would pray that this morning, that this would be the day of decision. They would not wait another. Another year starts in seven uh, days. And Lord, that we would not walk into this new year without you. Do not allow us to be distracted. Do not allow us to come up with excuses. This is where faith comes into play, Lord. We jump into your arms. And for our believers here, may this be a confirmation of how great you are. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Christmas season. Bless us as we leave here in just a few minutes, Lord, that we would find some more time for fellowship and just connecting with each other and enjoy this holiday together. Uh, and Lord, even the service this evening for our candlelight service, that that would be special. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer requests into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.